your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to direct your attention to killing mosquitoes. What in the world? Wow. Stay away. Chapter 1, verse 18, please. The devil always tries to get in and distract. And mosquitoes are definitely of the devil. So, All right, look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd Use your word today to encourage and challenge our hearts. And we're thankful for this assembly, for this body, and Lord, each one that's here today. Uh, Lord, I pray that in these moments we would be engaging with God's word intentionally and on purpose. And Father, uh, that we would uh, seek to understand what it is that you'd have to say to us today. And then, Lord, that we would have a tender response uh, to you and submit to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our missions conference is starting a week from today, uh, but our thinking should not be that we're just rolling into the next activity or the next thing that we do uh, as a church. Uh, We ought to have a mind and a heart that is desirous of the Lord working in us, and we ought to be preparing our hearts now for what the Lord has in store. And that's a personal thing that you must do and need to do. And, but in reality, um, missions and the preaching the gospel uh, should, should be the central focus of, of uh, not only a church, it ought to be absolutely the church. Missions should be the, the heartbeat of a church. If, there, if a church is not engaged in evangelism and preaching the gospel, uh, a church is dead. It's going to dry up. That's our purpose for existence. But it also ought to be in your personal life as well, engaged with the Word of God and giving and preaching the gospel. And so it ought to be something that's every day for the child of God. But there are times when we have special meetings like this, and, and we should not just float from one activity or one meeting to the next. It's an opportunity for the Lord to work in our midst, and I'm going to encourage you and challenge you in this next week with the messages that we're going to be preaching. They'll involve missions of some sort and encourage you this week to begin to, to pray and to begin to prepare your heart for what the Lord has for us next week, okay? That being said, we read this passage of Scripture where Paul says, "...for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God." He says in verse 21 that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
And we can read these verses and we can isolate just these verses to, to, to put together a sermon and a message to preach, but, but what we cannot do and we should not ever do is take it out of the context in which it's written. And it's important to understand uh, the context in which this passage is written. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, of course, but right in the middle of, uh, or as Paul begins this letter, Paul is in the midst of addressing an issue of division inside the church. And if you'll recall and you'll remember, there was a party spirit going on in the church at Corinth. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Peter. Others who are really spiritual say, oh, I'm of Christ. And this was the the party spirit and division that was going on in the midst of this church. And the reason that Paul was addressing that issue and that partisan spirit is because it was destroying the unity of that church. And so Paul begins to write to this church and he begins by stating, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the central uh, center. He is the central figure uh, uh, in, in a New Testament church because unto him is to be glory. But Jesus Christ ought to be the central figure in your life as well. And if he was, and he was the only focus, it would fix any of this quarreling spirit that was going on among the people. Notice what Paul said in verse 10 of chapter 1. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul said there's divisions here, and I'm beseeching you in the name of Jesus Christ as the central figure, that you don't have these divisions, but that you're unified in the same mind and over the same thing and have the same heart and have the same focus and the same spirit. That party spirit was manifesting itself in misplaced loyalties. In verse 12, Paul says, Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, but besides, I know not whether I baptized any. And now note what he says in verse 17. He says, that stuff doesn't matter. That stuff isn't the most important thing. Here's what the most important thing is. Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The reason that I am existing and the reason uh, that I am here is that Christ sent me to preach the gospel. And he says, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It's not even in my own doing or in human fleshly wisdom or power. No, it's in the power of Christ. And then he goes on, because the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. And so that party spirit that Paul was addressing was manifesting itself in these misplaced loyalties. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. And others said, I'm of Christ. And so in our text, Paul is demonstrating how serious a matter it is in a church to be unified and not to pit 
or play one human leader against another, not to be worshipers of men, but to be worshipers of Christ and to have this central focus about us of preaching the gospel. It's not the eloquence with which a man preaches. It's not the command of language or vocabulary that a person has that that brings people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not the magnetism of personality that brings someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not culture. It's not philosophy. Paul says in verse 17, it's the preaching of the cross that determines whether or not someone is going to be saved. And because of God's provision of salvation through the gospel, this, Paul says, is the one thing that ought to be the bond of unity among believers in a New Testament church. In this passage, Paul emphasizes the importance of keeping to the preaching of the cross, keeping the main thing, the main thing, and let this be the focal point. In other words, here it is. And I want to give you this, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it very well. If church members will stay busy spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, pointing to Christ, they're not going to have idle time in which to engage with bickering one against another. Or debating about this or about that. A church ought to be unified. And we ought to have the same mind. And the unification ought to be, first of all, Christ as the central figure. Secondly, our job to preach the gospel. And if we stay focused on that, we don't have time for all this other petty stuff. Are you hearing me? Let this be our heart. Amen? So what we're going to talk about today is the priority of preaching. And it's it's appropriate for the life of a church and certainly to get our minds and our hearts engaged with God's Word and what our purpose is as a New Testament church. We're going to see three things in this passage. And the first that I want to draw your attention to is verses 17 and 18. And we find here the importance of preaching. The importance of preaching. Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Here we find the importance of preaching, and we find it, first of all, the importance of preaching revealed in the fact that God chooses, God calls, God sends, God empowers those to preach the gospel. Paul said in verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize. What He sent me to do is to preach the gospel. The ministry is not a profession. It's a calling. 1 Timothy 3.1 says that a man could desire the office of a bishop and he would desire a good thing. But Acts 13 tells us that the Spirit of God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Paul said in Romans 1, in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. 
And so we find the importance of preaching revealed in the fact that God uh, takes it very seriously in that He chooses, that He calls, that He sends, that He empowers those who preach the gospel. And there is a call in the ministry, certainly, that involves preaching. However, here's the point I want to make. We are all commanded to preach the gospel, not just preachers. We're all commanded to preach the gospel. Why? Why? Why are we commanded to preach the gospel? Because preaching is the God-ordained method for hearing the gospel by which people are saved. This is why we're all commanded to preach the gospel. Verse 21 of our text, Paul says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The reason we're all given the responsibility or called to preach the gospel is because it is God's ordained method for hearing the gospel by which people are saved. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said these words, Go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to take you to several other passages here, and I want you to see the importance of preaching. Look in Romans chapter 10 with me. Turn back to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the heart of God that all men come to a place of repentance. Therefore, it is in the heart of God that all men hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And preaching is God-ordained method for how people hear the gospel. Do you see the importance of preaching? Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also, uh, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." So Paul says, I'm declaring to you the gospel that I preached unto you, and it's the gospel that will save you. And again, we find the heart of God, that He's not willing that any should perish, and therefore it is in the heart of God that all hear the gospel. The point I'm making is there's an importance to preaching. And how tragic that it is in these days that churches have substituted organization, programs, promotions, events, and all kinds of other things. They've substituted all of that for preaching. 
And preaching has lost its prominence in many churches. And I've heard, you know, churches or, or church leaders say that, you know, well, we've gone more to a teaching ministry. And we have our Sunday school groups, and, and the church is divided up into their little Sunday school group and so on. And it's been a substitute for preaching. And let me say to you, there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching includes the element of teaching, certainly, but preaching also includes the element of persuasion. This is why it's God's ordained method. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know what that word means? It's the Greek word pitho that means to convince, to obey, or to cause, to yield. Listen, there's something about preaching, preaching the gospel that gets to the heart, that says, listen, you're in trouble with God. You need to yield your will to God and your heart to God to convince, to obey, to yield. A substitute is never as effective as the real thing, especially when the substitute is of human reasoning, taking the place of God's divine plan. It's never the same thing. And what do you see in ministry today? What do you see in the approach even in evangelism today, even amongst good Baptists? And you might, you might have fallen guilty to some of this. It's possible. Or because we want to be attractive to people, or we want to, you know, I want a chance to influence people, and I want a chance to get into their life, and so the tendency might be to soften the approach, to soften the message, to bring the crowds in so we can share our faith. That sounds so unassuming, so non-confrontational, doesn't it? We're going to share today. We're going to share our faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your faith, but you understand what I'm talking about. With the idea and the mindset to, to soften the approach so that we can share our faith. And churches, you know, uh, substitute programs. Or just last year or the year before, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but there was a church in town that had a block party. They had a block party because they were celebrating their 25th anniversary. And so let's have a block party and invite the community so we can have a chance to share our faith. What is sharing our faith? What is that exactly? What does that mean? Well, God said, it, Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. Are we not to please God? Well, God has an ordained method, and we find the importance of preaching there and how God views it. We also see the importance of preaching in the attitude of the hearers of preaching because it will determine whether or not they are saved. Look at verse 18 in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The attitude of the hearers toward preaching the preaching of the cross is going to determine whether or not they're saved. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You see the difference. Humanity is divided into two classes here. Those that reject the preaching of the cross and those that believe the preaching of the cross. 
Paul says here, to them that perish. The preaching of the cross, to them that perish, it's foolishness. That phrase, to them that perish, it means this, or it carries this meaning. Those who have a character fitting them for destruction. In other words, the wicked and those who reject the message. Their character is fitting them for destruction. To them that perish, it's foolishness. And that expression stands in contrast with those who are saved. Because to those who are saved, it is the power of God. To those who have seen the beauty of the cross of Christ, to those who have fled to it for the salvation of their soul, to them, it's the power of God. To them who've seen the beauty of the cross. You say the beauty of the cross? Paul said, I, will, I don't want to glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you glory in something that is so bloody and so violent? How do you glory in something so tragic even? You glory it in the fact that it was through the cross of Christ that the wrath of God on my sin was assuaged. The wrath of God was taken care of. The justice and the righteous demands of a holy God were were taken care of on the cross. That's something to glory in. I've seen the beauty of the cross. And I'm going to glory in that. And Paul says, to those that perish, it's foolishness. The word foolishness means folly. It appears to them to be contemptible, foolish, unworthy of belief. And you know, to the great masses of Jews, to the masses of heathen philosophers in Paul's day and throughout the centuries, and indeed to the majority of people in this world, the cross has always been foolishness. I want to sit under that preaching. The cross always divides men in this sense. Those who are saved, those who are lost. However, The cross should never, ever divide the saved. It should never, ever divide God's people. In fact, it should be the very thing that unites God's people. You follow this? You understand this? We all come from different places. We all have different personalities. We come from different backgrounds. Brother Seth, you and I, we're very different in the way that we were raised. We were, were very different in the, the path that our lives have taken, but the reality is you and I are the same. You and I are no different than each other in the real sense because we're both sinners. We were both lost. We were both undone. We were both without Christ until the gospel came. Until the gospel came. And I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because I heard the gospel and it penetrated my heart and God began to work in me to draw me to Himself till I was convinced to obey and to yield. We're the same. The cross should unite God's people. It should never divide God's people. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 
chapter 2, we were here, I don't know, last week, the week before, and we talked a little bit about the context here. And the context is, is really between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is writing here, and he's talking about how Gentiles don't have the, the, the promise of, of being God's chosen people physically in this world. They were outside of the promises of God as far as the people of God go. But just because Jews were Jewish in their, in their heritage didn't make them any more the people of God or special, more special than other people when it came to the issue of salvation, when it came to the issue of being right with God. And so Paul talks about, in Ephesians 2, in, in verse 12, he says that at that time, he's talking to Gentile people, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. In a church, there's no room for division. doesn't matter if you're Jew. doesn't matter if you're Gentile. The cross has united us, and God has made both one in Christ. In, in, a, in a New Testament church. And he says it's through the cross. It's the thing that should unite God's people more than anything else. And I would simply say that it's the gospel that should be the focus. And this is why Paul says to the church that the preaching of the cross needs to be the main thing after the centrality of Christ. And if it were, if it were, then there wouldn't be quarrelings and there wouldn't be divisions in a partisan spirit amongst God's people. The preaching of the cross always needs to be the main thing in a church and in personal life. I think what I'm saying is we need to get back to what our priorities really ought to be. Amen? We see the importance of preaching, but then we, next we see the importance of what is preached. The importance of what is preached. Go back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 19, Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We see the importance of what is preached. What Paul preached... The gospel, the cross, was not a philosophy to be discussed, but a message that needed to be believed and obeyed. You understand what I'm saying here? 
This wasn't just some philosophy or opinion that we can sit around and discuss. No, what Paul preached wasn't something for discussion. It was a message that needed to be believed and it needed to be obeyed. He had, Paul had, you know what, Paul had all of the intellectual training you could ever, ever imagine. He had all of the background to philosophize, if that's what he wanted to do. But he wasn't the least bit interested in any kind of competition or, or some kind of oratory or some kind of philosophical discussion. That's not what he was interested in. The message that he preached, what he was sent of God to preach, was a message that needed to be believed and obeyed. And the good news of the gospel, friend is a fact that needs to be stated. Not just discussion that needs to be had. The good news of the gospel is a fact that needs to be stated to people. Do you understand what I mean by that? What is the fact? Well, the fact is, we have a sin problem. The fact is that we're going to be judged by God because of our sin. But the fact is, and the good news is, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He took our place. He took our judgment if we'll repent and believe. That is the fact that needs to be stated. And it's the good news of the gospel. It doesn't need to be dressed up. It doesn't need to be dumbed down. It doesn't need to be softened, and it doesn't need to be reworked. Are you with me? I think this needs to be re-emphasized in the days of carnal promotion and other big ministries and trying to be like others and how do we get the crowds in and, 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 and what really works. I get these ads all the time on, on, uh, on Instagram or even in my email sometimes about, uh, you know, they get sent to, the, to my email because it's the, the church's email or the office email. And I get these ads all the time from companies that say, let us help you. Let us help you promote your church and let us help you, you know, get people in the door and let us help you reach your community for Christ. And they got some program that they want to sell me. That if we subscribe to it and we pay the money, they'll, they'll you know, give us the tips that are going to help us to grow our church. Well, you know what? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a philosophy to be discussed. It's a fact that needs to be believed. It's a message that needs to be obeyed. And what is it that really works? What works is, friend, you have a sin problem. You're guilty before God. We're all sinners. We're going to be judged of God because of our sin. One day we're going to stand before God. But God loves you. And He loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take your place, to take the punishment you deserve. And if you'll repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ, you can be saved. All your sin can be washed away. You can be made a child of God. You need to understand, friend, that you're in trouble with God outside. You're without God and no hope for your soul. We don't need to have promotions, and we don't need to have block parties, and we don't need to have rock bands, and we don't need to have praise and worship teams in order to bring them in. 
In fact, we're not supposed to bring them in. We're supposed to go out into the highways and byways and the hedges and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you? Churches are trying to be like the world, becoming entertainment complexes and theaters and everything else. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Well, as a church, we're trying to be obedient to the command of the Lord. Are you individually? I do appreciate, I do appreciate very much when we have prayer meeting and, and some men say, would you pray for so-and-so? I want to witness to him, or I, I got a chance to witness to this person this week, and I'm looking forward to going back again, or I left this material or whatever. That I encourages me, and I appreciate that very much because it tells me and it shows me that, that you're conscientious about your purpose in life. To glorify the Lord, to be used of God to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an importance of, to what is being preached. Are we preaching men? Are we preaching promotion? Are we preaching our church? Or are we preaching the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ? Thirdly, we're going to go down a few verses, and I want you to note with me the importance of how the gospel is preached. So not only the importance of what is preached, but the importance of how the gospel is preached. Look in verse 21 again. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. The importance of how the gospel is preached. First of all, not with worldly wisdom. In verse 21, again, Paul says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The things of the Lord, as you know, are spiritually discerned. They're not discerned through speculation of men. They're not discerned through philosophy. They're discerned. They're not discerned through rationalizing. They're not discerned through human reason. And often the, quote, intellectuals of this world think that the preaching of the cross is foolishness and they're not willing to accept by faith the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because it leaves no room for human glory when you receive it simply by faith. That's why Paul says that no flesh 
should glory in His presence. And so God has chosen things that are despised or things that are base in the eyes of the world to bring to nothing the things that they prop up as something. By their own human wisdom, the Bible says, they knew not God. The world, by wisdom, knew not God. You understand that phrase? By their own human wisdom, they end up knowing, not knowing God. They're vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart is darkened. We don't preach with worldly wisdom or philosophy or carnal means or methods. Not by signs. Verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews wanted some external supernatural manifestation when it was actually already all around them. And there's a sense in which a demand for proof, ample proof, actually contradicts faith. By faith, we see the hand of God. And there are those out there who call themselves Christian or Christianity they teach that tongues or signs, you know, healings and, and other miraculous things are evidences of superior spiritual experiences. It's not so. It's not true. It's not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that is to be preached in all its simplicity. And that is the power of God unto salvation. It's not to be preached with pomp or pageantry. Verses 27 to 29 talk about God choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God choosing the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Any kind of men's philosophies or imaginations, the things that are despised. Why? To bring to nothing the things that are propped up in the eyes of the world. It's not to be preached with pomp and pageantry. You know, there's those out there who preach the social gospel, the health, the wealth, the wise, and they're lavish in riches. And see, this is evidence of God blessing your life. And if you just give some more money, God will bless your life too. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the natural mind, whether Jew or Gentile, the cross is offensive. The cross is unacceptable because it leaves no room for human glory. And this is exactly, exactly what the Corinthian church needed to hear. It's exactly what our church needs to hear, that we, we, don't, we don't need to be focused or worried about anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we just focused on that, the quarrelings of, uh, of, of men and women or the exalting of others over some would, would, would disappear. We ought to be united in Christ. We ought to be focused on the preaching of the gospel then there aren't going to be divisions or contentions among you, and we're going to be pleasing to the Lord. We need to get back to the main thing. It always ought to be, and, you know, we have a missions conference to sometimes try to 
reignite or re-encourage or refocus our minds. But we can also have missions conference to get set for the next coming year. Here's what we expect to be able to do in our giving and supporting of the gospel going around the world. But that's not the only time that we ought to focus on missions. Amen? Preaching the gospel needs to be the main thing. And our priorities, our priorities always need to be rechecked. So let's ask the Lord to help us as we prepare. What are you focused on? What's the direction of your life? What is it that dominates you? Is there a heart for the gospel, a heart for people? Is there a heart, Lord, use me to be able to preach the gospel? Is that the heart, the focus, the mind? We get all off track on all kinds of other stuff, and we start to get into the weeds. And Paul says, you keep Christ as the center. You keep preaching the gospel. That's what God sent me to do. There's not going to be room for any of this other stuff. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you just use your word. Lord, I don't know how you may want to speak to people's hearts today. But I do know this. I know that it's easy for us to get sidetracked or get carried away with all kinds of other things in this temporal life. But what we need to do is keep the main thing the main thing. So Lord, I pray for your help and I pray for your grace. And Lord, to soften our hearts again. Lord, to tune our hearts again to our purpose, our mission which is missions. Lord, we pray for our missions conference coming up and pray for the preachers and as you've led them, Lord, to deliver the word. But Lord, I pray most of all for us, for our hearts, for our readiness, our frame of mind. Lord, that we'd not just float from one major event to the next, but Lord, that these would be times of soberness, seriousness to expect the Lord wants to teach or remind or encourage or grow. Lord, that we would have a heart. Lord, how can we serve you better? How can we do more for the cause of Christ? And I pray, Lord, that whether that is through the church or whether that's on an individual level, but Lord, that that would be our heart. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with the response of your people in these few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.